Thanks for joining me for episode 384 of Hippie Witch, Magic for a New Age. My name is Joanna DeVoe, and I am the kooky creatrix behind Kick-Ass Witch, putting the K in magic, and Hippie Witch, the show you are listening to right now. I also have a free ebook by that name, Hippie Witch, Peace, Love, and all that good shit, and you can pick up a copy of that at www.joannadevoe.com or back on the description page for this episode back on Blog Talk Radio. And I am talking as fast as I can right now because there is a painter. There are several painters now surrounding me in the windows of this room and the adjacent rooms. They are going (laughs) with masking tape and taping plastic to the windows They've been working on the house. I was told it would be two weeks. Actually, this all happened very unexpectedly. I was told nothing. I was told nothing. My landlord texted me on a Sunday and said, some painters are going to come by in the morning to paint something in the front. Here we are now, almost a month later, and I lost a whole week of work the first week because it was all like super, they did that, whatever that super sound is where they're like, blasting all of the dirt and loose paint off your house. They did that for a whole week and sanding from 8 a.m. to 5 (laughs) p.m. It was so loud. I had no warning that this was coming. And now we're going into four weeks of this and I'm I'm not really sure what's going to happen at all. There's no communication as to like how the day is going to (laughs) go. I just see them taping up the windows. I'm like, I better start talking right now to try to get an intro in on this episode (laughs) Uh, before it gets loud, because who knows what's going to happen. I had this moment when I noticed that they were putting plastic over the windows where I panicked, like, because I'm extremely, I don't know if I've ever told you this, I'm extremely, extremely, ridiculously claustrophobic. And my first instinct was to like rip open the door and bust through the plastic. But it seems they're only doing it on two sides of the house. So something about that is comforting to know I can escape out the front if I need to. So this is a this is an interview that I did earlier in the week. Coming up is the interview that I did earlier in the week with a really interesting podcaster that I think you are all going to enjoy. People ask me all the time for podcast recommendations, and I I just kind of listen to the same ones I've listened to again and again and again, but I don't listen to them often anymore because I've been writing a lot in my downtime, and so a lot of my podcasting listening time has been cut by all the writing I'm doing. I'm very happy about that development, but I ran across Greg Soden on Twitter And I thought he was an interesting guy. I went and checked out his podcast and I was like, okay, I have a good recommendation for my listeners. You all are going to love this. So (laughs) before I get to that, I want to thank the very nice patrons who are supporting me over on, I don't know if that was a real word, supporting me over on Patreon. Thank you so much for helping me. Work slowly but surely, inch by inch, toward my goal of paying for my rent and my health insurance entirely through that platform. 
That to me is freedom. And I see other people doing it. So I know it's possible and I know I will get there eventually. I specifically want to thank three new patrons, Alina Ruchki, Ruchki. Ruchi, I'm so bad about saying these names. <laughs> Alina R, Anne, just Anne, and Diane Murphy. Thank you so much for joining me there on Patreon. Uh, I, I, I'm such a rambler. I want to do this fast, and now all these other things are popping into my head. Like, ooh, I want to say this, and oh, I want to do that. And it's Saturn's Day. We should do a Saturn's Day evening post. But today is not that day. Today is Greg Soden Day of the Classical Ideas podcast. And the blurb that he has on Twitter, I think, is good enough for introducing what the Classical Ideas podcast is. That blurb says, a teacher gets together with thinkers to chat about the world's religions. That's why I think you all will like this, because we're such an eclectic crowd and we come from all these different backgrounds. A lot of us have blended paths that we walk spiritually. So his podcast is excellent food for thought for people, people like us, people like us. So without any further ado, here is Greg Soden of the Classical Ideas podcast. Hello, Greg. Welcome to Hippie Witch. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. I don't think I've had a podcaster on the podcast in a very long time and you are such a professional and as we just talked about gear heady kind of podcaster that I'm a little bit intimidated and I'm definitely going to be on my A game today. Wonderful. Well, uh, yeah, I'm really excited to talk about uh, podcasting and that whole entire fantastic world that you and I inhabit, which allows us, as I see it, to just kind of be as creative as possible and have fantastic conversations and sort of like facilitate like lifelong learning for both of us. Mm-hmm. Your podcast for everybody who wants to take a note right now, this is one you're definitely going to want to check out. It's called The Classical Ideas podcast and i'm saying it slow the classical ideas podcast you so have my number with this i'm telling you it's fascinating i love it thank you that means so much to me i really appreciate that oh you're such a nerd in the very best way my favorite kind of nerd like you just take a very scholarly approach i feel or you love scholars you bring them on authors really interesting people And what I love the most about it is the emphasis on curiosity. Yeah, yeah. And like, I love having scholars and folks on my podcast that, you know, you might not hear from in uh, ordinary conversations. Like for the most part, the people that I talk to don't go on like daytime talk shows. um, And oftentimes they are just, you know, teaching their classes and they're just living their lives. And they write these books for like academic presses that um, don't really get disseminated in the wider conversation in the world. And so part of what I find to be amazing about talking to them is that for the most part, they're teachers and I'm a teacher. So I love talking teaching with these, with these folks that come on my show and we truly do get to geek out on some super geeky stuff, but also really meaningful stuff, stuff that matters to millions and billions of people all around the world. And I see my job as sort of helping the folks on with their books, 
getting these ideas disseminated out into the world. Because if you have a book from like academic presses that, you know, you don't see in a bookstore in the airport or something like that, a lot of people won't ever see these books and or know that they exist. So I love getting people on the show to kind of bring these ideas to light, to disseminate them to the wider world, because it's interesting and life is fascinating. And as you said, like sort of my meaning of life is like, just stay curious, stay hungry, learn as much as possible. And that's why I do the show, you know? Yeah. Curiosity is one of the best qualities in a person. And I love that you are shining a light on these authors that we might not normally hear about, which is why I think your podcast is so fabulous. Well, one of the reasons, because a lot of times, you know, an author comes out with a book and the big podcasters, the big names that we all know, they tend to interview the same person over and over and over again, which is great if you're like me and you kind of want to obsess for a minute on somebody. If you find somebody you really like, you know, it's fun to go around and listen to all their interviews. <laughs> but it's also, it's also really fun to hear someone you have never heard of. And you yeah. do, you do that. Yeah. I mean, tomorrow I'm talking to uh, a gentleman named Andrew Chestnut, and he's a scholar of Santa Muerte, the skeleton saint. Uh, The other day I talked to some a fantastic scholar named Nicole Kirk, and she has a book out about John Wanamaker and how he tied like religion into um, department store shopping in like early 20th century America. And, you know, there's just this endless array of fantastic folks that do this cool work that you won't hear on big podcasts or on uh, um, Terry Gross or shows that are fantastic like that. But I love talking to to folks like that. You know, that's, that's kind of where I see uh, the focus of my show, kind of where I see the wheelhouse of my, um, of my fantastic and amazing guest list. Yes. And it's, there's a focus on world religions, like all different you've interviewed, which, which is, I don't know, plural, but I've listened to one interview that you did was with it, a witch. Was it Daniel Dulski? Yeah. Oh my gosh. That was one of my favorite conversations possible. I, that was just so good. I promise you, everybody listening to this is going to run to listen to your episode on Santa Muerte as well. So that- yeah, yeah, I love it. I mean, it's it's just a fantastic. It's a gift, you know. And like, I don't make any money to do the show. Like, I do it just because I want to do it, and because it's like the best hobby I've ever had. And I almost just can't even see myself not doing it at this point, you know. The irony in that is that. From episode one, I went back and listened to your introductory episode. It is so well done and professional and you had an agenda and you knew exactly what you were going to do. I actually make my living podcasting and I'm just like this wild, like, woohoo, kooky, fly <laughs> by the seat of my pants. The first couple years I podcast, I was podcasting, I just called in on to my own show with my cell phone. It was ridiculous. <laughs> and I'm like, here's this guy. Like, you know, from day one, he's like, all right, I have a plan. This is what, you know, this is what we're going to do. If you'd like to support the show, please go over here and here. And it was just, I was like, okay, this guy is serious business. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, I started it because like I was teaching a class in a public high school in Missouri And it was a world religions class. And like the reason I started doing the show is because my students and I would read all this fantastic stuff. And then we would have guest speakers come and visit the class or we'd have authors Skype in. And the questions that my students would ask, like they were talking, we're 17 and 18 year old students asking, you know, uh, 
emeritus professors of classical studies at KU talking about the Tao Te Ching in like extremely complex ways. And it was so inspiring that I decided I have to turn this into a podcast. Like the show, these conversations are so amazing and I want to do this and I want to bring it to the world. So my students actually were the ones who sort of inspired the show um, to talk about different religions because these conversations, I realized they were never boring. They were always interesting to me. And that's just kind of why I started it. I mean, I was, it was all inspired by 17 and 18 year olds in Missouri. I love a teacher who respects their students and thinks that they have something to offer. And, and that lack of condescension, I think is so valuable. And when I, uh, we were kind of, I think you commented on an interview I did with Mitch Horowitz. I think that's how you first yeah. like popped onto my radar. And then one day, just randomly, I said something in my normal, like, hippie, happy way. I was like, today, <laughs> today is the day, your day. It's your big day. It's the only one you've got right now. So you might as well do something awesome with it. And then you wrote under that. I'm going oh, yeah. to read what you wrote because I yeah, was like, this guy, this guy must be on my podcast. This is the thing <laughs> that sealed the deal. You I said, love it. I love it. You said, and this was in the morning for me. So I, I think you're three hours ahead of me, but it's still, I was very impressed. You wrote, I rode my bike 10 miles. Now I'm working in my online classes. Then I'm doing a podcast interview. Then my daughter and her friend are having a play date at my house and I'm going to sling grilled cheese sandwiches. Then I have speed work with my marathon training group. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that was a, that was an awesome day. Um, and that was really only like last week, I think that we really started chatting a lot. Yeah. Um, but that's a pretty normal day for me. Wow. So you, this is, it's my honor to have you on the podcast because you're shining the light on all of these other people. And I was like, well, someone needs to shine a light on Greg because this guy is cool. You have no idea how much I appreciate that. Like the world of podcasting and like talk radio is so saturated. That's like one of the hardest lessons I've ever learned is that there are like 500,000 podcasts out there. There are so many people doing amazing work and, you know, getting any sort of attention and getting uh, attracting a listenership is really so much harder than I really ever could have imagined. Um, but yeah, so I'm super grateful to you that you invited me to do this because this is totally out of the ordinary for what I would normally be doing because I would be doing what you're doing right now. Mm -hmm. And like, I can, I can already feel my, uh, my approach to this conversation is so much different than I would do on my show because you know, you're in the driver's seat. Yeah. Yeah. And it's sort of like a three wheel car, like going down a hill, like, woo, what's going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how did you get to be such a, I don't know, like a productive, active guy, you're a teacher, you're a dad, you clearly exercise on a regular basis. I saw you love punk rock. I was in a punk rock band back in the day. So I really appreciated that. And, and now, and now this podcast that is so professionally done is your hobby. Like, where are you getting all this energy? Uh, that is, oh my gosh. Um, I really, at the end of the day, I really have nothing left is kind of the secret to it. Um, at the end of the day, whenever the sun goes down and whenever everybody's quieting down in my house, I am done. I am like, you know, just, I put it all on the field every single day as much as I possibly can. Um, but 
you know, I, I started playing in, in punk bands when I was like 13 and like we played like the eighth grade talent show at my <laughs> middle school. We played a Blink-182, damn it, um, at the eighth grade talent show. <laughs> and so like and then I was in a band all through school and we recorded some stuff. Um, so I kind of started getting into like recording a little bit. Um, so I had a little bit of that experience going way, way back. And then when I was in eighth grade that same summer, um, I went on a trip with a high school with a, with my school teacher. It was like one of those, uh, EF tours, I think where kids go abroad. And so I went to the UK with a class trip. And ever since that moment, that was like the turning point sort of in, in my life. And I realized that the world is so huge and so interesting and so endlessly fascinating, like the total opposite of boring that I realized that that's just kind of what I need to do. I just need to travel and talk to interesting people, read as much as I can, listen to tons and tons of music, make music, um, exercise, ride my bike, do yoga. Like, so if something occurs to me, I tend to try it at least once. Like that's kind of my, my thing. And you know, not everything sticks, but I really do believe that sort of, uh, the purpose of being here is to get as much experience under my belt within this one lifetime that we have and just make the most of it every given day. Mm. I, I think I just got the title for this episode. It's going to be something about the magic of curiosity, because I think that's where you're getting a lot of your energy. Not only is that, you know, a primary value that you hold. But when I'm hearing you talk about this, I can see how that fuels your fire. And to me, the definition of magic is creating change and conformity with your will. So for anybody listening right now, if your life is feeling very blah, get curious about something, like find something that lights you up the way that the whole damn world is lighting this guy up right now that I'm talking to. It's pretty fun listening to you. You can hear the the joy in your voice when you talk about these things. For real, get curious. I mean, that that is it. That's like the whole thing. Like I'm sitting across from my stack of books. So every time I do a podcast episode on a new book, when I'm done with the book, I put it in a giant stack and it's in my office right across from me. And right now I'm looking at books by Chris Grosso and shows on Jack Hobner and Shulam Dean and like Brad Warner and like journalists like Ian Johnson, Linda K. Wertheimer, all these amazing people that have been on my show. The daughters of Alan Watts have been on my show. I've talked to them. I cannot and- wait to listen to that. I saw that this morning, by the way. Oh my gosh. Episode 32 and 33. Like I'll never forget those. Those two conversations were amazing. Like so amazing. And I'm sure that you've had some of this as well, but isn't it amazing that like when you have a podcast and you show interest in other people's work and you mean it, that they're so happy and willing and able to talk to you? Yeah. It used to amaze me in the beginning because I thought, I don't know what I, I guess I thought that these published authors lived like high on the hill. (laughs) It really shocked me that they didn't have any money. That was the first thing that blew my mind. I was like, what do you mean you have a day job? And the, the second thing that blew my mind was how little publicity they get just for free. You know, like somebody coming by and being like, Hey, let's talk about your book. And, and it was very eye opening when I started reaching out and asking people to do interviews. 
it was blow, it blows my mind. So like, I'm so glad that you and I have that sort of shared experience that we can kind of just linger on for a second because we're so lucky to be able to have interesting conversations every week as often as we want. You know what I mean? It's amazing. Yeah. So like whenever I, um, realize all these things, like after college, like I went to college at the university of Missouri and at, while I was in college, I made the decision that I wasn't going to look for a job in Missouri. So I'm a teacher and all of my like people in my graduating class were looking for jobs in the I-70 corridor. If you're familiar with Missouri, you know that it's a giant highway called I-70 that runs through the middle of the state. One end is Kansas City, the other end is St. Louis. And the vast majority of the population in St. Louis or in Missouri lives within like 20 miles of that I-70 corridor. And so like so many of my classmates were looking for these jobs, teaching in like high schools and middle schools around the state. And I went to an international teaching job fair and I got a job in a city called Torreon, Coahuila in Mexico. And so like my first year of teaching, I moved seven hours south of the U.S. border um, to a town called Torreon in the middle of Mexico. And I mean, that was like amazing to me living on the other side of the U.S. border uh, with our neighbors to the south. And I mean, it transformed so many things in my life, um, you know, spending my first few years teaching in other countries. Yeah. Yeah. You said something about that. I think on that introductory podcast about the different places that you've lived and seeing it as an opportunity to make friends. And that went straight to my heart. I was like, not everybody thinks like that, Greg. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. um, My parents, I was raised in a very limited environment. Like everybody we knew was from the church, Mennonite brethren. And my my mom and my stepdad now are missionaries and they've had the opportunity to work all around the world at all different places and it's been really exciting and fun to watch how that's softened and expanded their beliefs and their compassion not that they weren't compassionate people before but it's just been really fun and interesting to watch that unfold now that they're in their sixties and they're doing this work. I love it. Well, you know, like moving to Mexico. So, you know, I made a lot of friends down there and I had a really good time living there. I traveled all over the country and had so many countless fantastic experiences. And now whenever I look at like our current political environment, like something that happened to me in 2007 and 2008 shapes a lot of the ways that I see our country today. So like if I watch the news and I hear things like border wall, I in instinctively immediately think about my friends who would be like on the other side of what would be the U S border wall with Mexico. And it changes the way that I see the entire debate, you know? Yes. Yeah. When it's personal, it does. Yeah. And these, like these international experiences, I mean, it's, it's just, it changes the way you see absolutely everything. And like you said a moment ago, it sort of expands your universe. It kind of blows it up and your periphery becomes so much wider whenever you are open to such experiences. And that was kind of like, that was the meaning of it all for me. And I I mean, after I lived in Mexico, I lived in England and I taught in a public school in uh, the Southern UK. So now whenever I watch news about like Brexit, like I think about all my friends over there. And so it's, crazy to me that I've had these experiences that, um, allow me to 
reframe the way I think about some of the most pressing political conditions around North America and Europe today. I think that that is why your podcast is so important beyond being entertaining. It's important because you are opening the, I love the emphasis on world religions. My audience, I know for sure will love the classical ideas podcast. Let's give it another shout there. (laughs) Thank you. Because they're going to love it because this is a very eclectic, open-minded bunch of people, spiritual seekers, and you're exploring all these different religions. And I just know that that is something they will love. But even if you can't travel the world, you can listen to this podcast and get a nice cross-section of ideas and theologies in a very personal way when people are talking and you hear their voice and you hear what gets them excited, you know, and, and what their passion is. You can't help but have empathy and feel a connection to that. It's very different than, than picking up a book, which I love. I'm a huge book nerd. But there's something about listening to someone talk about their experience that is also very expansive. Oh, for sure. Like, that's the power of this medium. You know, Um, I can spend 12 hours reading a book and I can annotate it like crazy and I can make all of my own meaning for it. And then what I'll do is I just whip up like a list of questions, things I want to talk, uh, talk about with a guest. And what's so fascinating is that when their voice and their tone and the way they speak and the things that get them excited and the things that make them somber in my conversation with them, I mean, that's really where the magic of podcasting is. I mean, because you get these personal stories where people are telling you all about their life and their practices and their beliefs and the things that motivate and inspire them. And that, you know, oftentimes the podcast interview itself I mean, that that's the real experience for me is like I love reading the books and I love thinking about the ideas presented. And but then the fact that I get to ask people and hear it, hear them tell it in their own words, in their own voice, in my headphones. Oh, my gosh. It's just it's it's a thrill, to say the least. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you a question. I'll go ahead and ask it. But it's an expansion of kind of what we were just talking about. Why does religion matter? Holy moly. Okay, so um, the Bible is the number one cited book on the floor of the U.S. Senate. Um, You know, we have this thing, the separation of church and state in this country, um, and but that's a very tenuous balance. And I would argue that religion, religious beliefs around the world of politicians, of people in communities, religion is sort of like a guiding force, whether people say it out loud often or not. And so to me, I'm always really interested how um, decisions are made and how religion plays a role in that. You know, if you look at um, in China, there used to be like statues of um, Confucius in Tiananmen Square. And then a few years back, all the statues in Tiananmen Square like disappeared overnight. And there was this fantastic investigative journalism campaign uh, by the New York Times and a guy named Andrew Jacobs who followed like, where did all the Confucius statues go? Why are they gone? And so to me, there's like this religious undercurrent that goes on so often in really obscure and random things. Um, 
that I, I love finding the answer to. And somebody who's like so amazing at this is there's a journalist for the New York Times named Sam Kestenbaum, and he was actually on my show. Um, but he finds like obscure and overlooked communities um, that practice different religions, and he writes about it. And I just love it. it it's just something about it just latches on to me in ways that maybe other news stories don't. I don't know. It's kind of hard to explain. So are you saying that religion is important to you because it helps you understand the way societies work? Or are you saying that religion is important to people in a spiritual sense? Oh, I would say both. I mean, I love learning about the practices of other people. Um, and so, you know, maybe, and that's another thing that drives me is like, whenever I come into conversation with a guest, um, whether they be a practitioner or a researcher or a scholar or whoever, um, I just want to know what people who practice this do and think and why they do and think those things, whether or not I personally do or practice those things, um, isn't really important to me. I just want to know why people love doing what they do. And it's just something that really motivates me. Yeah, I, I feel a lot of people don't love what they do in terms of religion. I feel that this is just my opinion and observation, but I feel like a lot of people just kind of go through the motions because that's how they were raised. <laughs> and that's what they're yeah. expected to do. I, I, I have a lot of respect and awe, really, for people that are extremely like rooted in their religion and they get so much out of it. But I find that to be a rare quality sometimes. Depending maybe on the religion, depending on on which kind of church you're talking about. Well, yeah, and there's actually a growing body of work um, and books on this exact topic. Like there's people who um, inherit their belief system and then they just stick with it forever. And then there are people who inherit one and leave it for another. And then there are people that inherit one, but also find another and incorporate that. So there's like this religious fluidity where people are practicing one tradition really, really clearly. And then they're, or they're practicing one tradition and then they leave it for nothing or they're practicing one tradition and then they incorporate other things. Like there's a huge movement of incorporating, um, like a lot of Buddhist meditation practices, regardless of what your other religious beliefs are. And so you see a lot of people incorporating Buddhism into Christianity. Um, and that's a big movement of people. There's like a rise of people who are practicing more than one thing at the same time. So it's, it's just this really cool way of looking at society, seeing like how people live their lives and how times change and how, um, and how we operate, you know? You just described my audience. That, that's who we are. <laughs> we, yeah. are we are an eclectic bunch. Like I myself incorporate Buddhism. A lot of times it's, it's said that Buddhism is not a religion. It's a philosophy. That's why it's blends so well. Like if you're a Christian, I feel like that's a safe way <laughs> to, to start playing around with that. Although I know a lot of Christians that are afraid of yoga, for example, when maybe they could use some of it and, uh, just for physical reasons. But I, you know, I'm a witch who I blend a lot of different ideas, Taoism, Buddhism. I've even been working with Jesus again. So it's, 
that's representative of for sure the audience that's listening right now and and I think you'll find if you talk to more witches that that's kind of what that community is about and that's what oh, makes, yeah. that's what makes it so fun it's really non-dogmatic and there's a lot of conversations that you know none of us agree on anything basically <laughs> but we all yeah. have that curiosity we like to have a conversation I love it. And there's actually a new book out that I'm reading right now called, um, oh my gosh, it's right here. Let me look at it. It's called When One Religion Isn't Enough, The Lives of Spiritually Fluid People. Um, and And the author is Dwayne Bidwell. And it's brand new. I think it just came out this week. But it's all about, you know, doing more than one religious tradition and like some of the pitfalls of doing that as well. Like, do you feel comfortable saying in public that you are a Christian Zen Buddhist? Do you know what I mean? Like what, uh, what consequences will come back on you if you openly declare that you're more than one thing who will say things to you trying to get you to believe that you're doing the wrong thing. And it's just, uh, it's something it's becoming more common from what I can tell. And I just, I love following those types of trends and stories. Like I'm on Pew's um, religion research. I feel like every single week looking at new surveys that come out talking about what religion looks like in the U.S. today. It's just really cool. You said something earlier that we only get this one life. And and yeah. I made a mental note of that. Are you an atheist? Um, You know, I, I, I hedge my bets. Um because I read so many different things that, uh, I am, um, Oh goodness. What's the word? I'm like, I'm sort of like spiritually agnostic. Um, like I'm just as comfortable in church as I am sitting in a Zendo, you know, chanting the heart sutra in Japanese. Like I have for the last like six years have really made a point of visiting a whole bunch of different places. And I've really found that one of my favorite, um, you know, spiritual traditions to follow is like going to a synagogue for Kol Nidre or going to uh, Ganesh Chaturthi Puja at a, at a Hindu temple. So like, I don't really say that I'm an atheist because to me, like that's sort of like limiting because like that says what I'm, what I'm not instead of what I am. And what I am is interested in the ideas and arguments put forth by all the world's different religions and what they can do to, give a, an additive element to my life instead of saying, this is what I'm not, you know? Okay. I have a personal question then. Not that that one wasn't already, but I have another personal question. (laughs) So intellect aside, if you're able to set your intellect aside, if you are in a space chanting with a bunch of people, or there's a really beautiful song or prayer happening, do you ever get the sense that you are an eternal being? Or do you feel like your spiritual self as being something that you can actually feel? Like, what is your experience of that? I experience transcendent moments, for sure. Um, Like, whenever I was mentioning earlier, uh, being in a Zendo chanting the heart sutra, you know, you really have to kind of like let your guard down in moments like that. And when you let your guard down, the, the universe just becomes even bigger. And, you know, whenever I'm at Cole Nidre, uh, there was a, a synagogue that I used to go to in Columbia, Missouri, and they would do Cole Nidre and they would perform. There was like this, uh, a violinist, a famous violinist who would play. And, 
I would have tears streaming down my cheeks during this Cole Nidre um, violin performance. And I just try to be as open to the, in those moments as I possibly can. And I'm not really sure um, if I'm answering the question, but I, I kind of live for those moments. And to me, I love it that I can have those moments in many different traditions because that just makes life better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's an interesting practice, too, for anybody that's looking to mix it up is to go around and try out different I don't want to say church or temple, places of worship. That was one of the trainings that my parents had to do when they were missionaries was to go to a mosque. They had never been to a mosque before. (laughs) And I've been such a seeker my entire adult life that I was absolutely thrilled by the idea. And it's good training. And it's, it's a really, we've spoken already a lot about expansion, but I feel like that's an amazing way to do it because you get the feeling sense when you're in a house of worship that is different than your own. Yeah. When, you know, like, like being in, in a synagogue with one of my really good friends, they would be beautiful moments. And I got to like share those moments with a lot of students as well. Cause as a teacher, I was able to offer some chances where students would get to go and like have tours of different houses of worship and see things with their own eyes and kind of watch them break down their own barriers of barriers of, Oh, this is different than what I do. So I'm afraid of it because like, that's one of the biggest things that my uh, class and my teaching offered was students no longer, are afraid of other things, but going back to like being in like a, um, a practice, you know, one of the things that I would also do is have these really personal moments. Um, like if I would go to, there was a, a Theravadan Buddhist center that I would go to Thursday night committed practice classes and we would have amazing discussions about the self and who am I and who are you and it gets intense and people cry and we hug each other. And then I would go to a Zendo and like by with a Rinzai monk and we would come in and he would ring the, the bell and he would hit the wooden fish and we would chant the heart sutra. And then we'd sit there for 45 minutes while my ego would absolutely clobber itself <laughs> in inside of what, wherever that, Thing is in my brain. And I would just, you know, beat the living heck out of myself inside my own head. And those moments are so personal. Um, and then you walk away and you're just different whenever you're done because you've, you've, you've had, you know, group community experiences like in a synagogue or a church or a temple. And then you had these intensely personal moments like in a Zendo. And there's just, something that every different place offers me and forcing myself to choose one uh, just doesn't seem really in the cards. Mm -hmm. And I I wasn't being cute earlier when I said that I think your podcast is important because I feel that, I mean, how much blood has been shed in the name of religion? Oh, totally. Endless. And I feel like the more that we have those personal experiences that you just described, and then also just through your podcast and through traveling or through going to a house of worship that you've never been to before, you're 
learning to have empathy and feel a connection with all these other people, which to me is politically preventative. It's it's ironic that the school that you teach at is called Battle High School. Yeah, I did. I taught at Battle High School oh, for five years. Yeah, we we moved over. We moved to New York last summer. But yeah, Battle High School is still like sort of my like professional home. Um, so many amazing experiences I had there. Isn't it ironic that that's the name of it, though? But I feel like your work is really about the antithesis of that. Yeah, well, it's named after a really famous civil rights family um, in Columbia, Missouri. But yeah, it's really uh, a fantastic um, title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what? how are you liking New York? Because that's a, that's a melting pot right there. Well, I, I live in Western New York. I live on the Canadian border. Um, and so I'm still finding my my footing um, and where I am now. And, you know, I'm just kind of doing the show and uh, I'm training for some marathons right now. So I'm super busy with that. And um, I teach some online classes and I'm just trying to kind of figure out where I fit now, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Tran- mar- transition. Oh, my gosh. Transition is so much harder than uh than it was when I was 22 that's for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. Definitely. The marathon training I think is a nice way to offset all the intellectual activity as well. So you have a good balance going on there. Yeah, oh my gosh. Um there is nothing intellectual about running for a really long time. Like I ran uh 7 miles this morning. Um, and I'm in like, sort of like the middle of a, a marathon training cycle for a marathon I'm running in May. And so like my long runs now on the weekend are getting up to like 16 miles. So I'm running for hours and hours at a time. And the great thing about being done with a long run on Saturdays is that I'm not capable of intellectualizing anything. And so it's like a, a, a break, um, an enforced rest from overthinking things. Like, cause when you run that far and you're so tired and you, I can't even read a line in a book when I'm done with a 15 mile run. Um, so it, it kind of forces me to stop being productive and it kind of forces me just to like lay there for the rest of the day. And then Sunday comes around and I feel good as new again. But that's like my little reprieve from like over intellectualizing and over analyzing mm-hmm. and overthinking everything, which I do all day, every day. It's brutal. It's like this endless cycle of intellectualizing. <laughs> and, um, you know, so that that's uh, that that's my little my little getaway is punishing myself into the ground in a long, long run and then laying there like a zombie for many hours. I think offline physical activity is going to become more and more important for us as a culture because yeah. so many people spend their lives on the internet. Are you familiar with the work of Cal Newport? Oh my gosh, I was totally just going to bring that up. Digital minimalism. I want to read that book. I just actually discovered that book today and I want to read it. Did you read it? No, I love his book, Deep Work, though. And it's, cool. And he talks about how... You cannot retain if you're just constantly like shoving information in your brain. It's kind of pointless because you lose so much of it. So after you read a book or you study something, the way to retain the information is to give yourself a period of integration by doing, you know, taking a nap, going on a walk, going on a run, painting the kitchen, whatever, something 
so your mind has a chance to integrate it and process it and then retain it later. It's I I'm very inspired by him. I think I think you'll love that book. I haven't read it yet, but he has a fascinating perspective. Well, that's so true as well, because like I'm sitting here, I'm looking at my bookshelf right now and all of the overflow that's all over the floor next to my desk. And so my favorite writer ever is Haruki Murakami. He's a Japanese novelist and I've got all of his books and I've read like everything he's ever written. And I think about my favorite book of his, which is called The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle, and I've read it like four times and every time I read it, it's like I'm reading it for the first time almost because, mm-hmm. you know, I read so many different things and I spend so much of my time trying to, you know, formulate what I want to talk to somebody about on, on the podcast that when I let myself chill out and read a novel, um, I realize that I have forgotten everything that's in this book because so many things have been crammed into my brain since the last time I'd read it, that it's like a brand new experience all over again. And and that's like my favorite book. And I almost can't even remember what it says whenever I get back around to reading it. Yep. Yes. I I know that I'm a, I'm a huge book nerd and I like to read nonfiction by day and sit there with my highlighter and taking notes and everything. And then to relax, (laughs) I like to read fiction before I go to sleep. Yeah. So it's like from book to book to book to book. But I love, I do love it. I have to say that. And I will reread books as well. And even if I can remember a lot of the book, there's always things I notice about it that I didn't notice before or things that pop out as being more meaningful or that I didn't understand. Oh, totally. Like, or if you read a book before you're a parent and then you read it after you're a parent and it's like, you're reading it from like a parental lens now. And the book is entirely a hundred percent different all the way through. It's like, wow, this is totally not the same book I read before, but it is because you're just in a different place. And that's really the beauty of, you know, the printed word that context in your life and where you are and what you're experiencing every single day. It just jumps out at you when you sit down with a book. Mm-hmm. So, so what's it like being the dad of a daughter? You have one daughter. I do. I have one child daughter. She's five and it's fantastic. I mean, it, it's a gift. I mean, it's a real, it's a real pleasure. Um, one of my favorite things is that I am currently in a place to where I'm home. I work from home at the moment um, while I you know, go through this transition phase of life from moving from one place to the other. And every day she gets off the bus and for like three or four hours, it's just me and the kiddo doing whatever we want to do. We can go to the park and hang out on the swings. We can go over to one of her friend's houses and pick up her friend and bring the friend back over. Like I said, for the grilled cheese slinging parties. Mm -hmm. And I just love it. And you know, one of my favorite things to do is actually to be in my house, um, cooking food for my daughter and her kindergarten friends who are over on a play date and listening to them figure out the world through conversations with each other. I mean, it's, it's just fantastic listening to them learn and figure out how to be like little diplomats and how to share and how to work together and how to problem solve. And just seeing that development take place is, uh, it's one of my favorite things ever. Oh my gosh. Oh my, everybody listening. Let's make curious our word of the year. I just, when I'm listening to you talk about with such passion about all the different things, they seem to just really, I mean, you were in a punk rock band. How in the world did you end up, you know, going all the way in school and becoming a teacher? Because to me, those things are so different, right? And then you're talking about 
you know, loving these scholarly works, but then you're running these marathons and then you're a dad. I feel like it's just a nice, well-rounded life that you have a lot of passion for in, in every compartment of it. It's, it's really cool. Like, so, um, one of the things that I did is after I lived in Mexico, I went and taught for a year in England. And then after England, I was looking into graduate school programs for master's for master's degree. And I wound up at the university of Saskatchewan in Western Canada And I went there because like the university is awesome and the tuition was so affordable. So I did my master's in Canada where like in the wintertime I was cross country skiing all the time because it was like minus 30 outside for the whole winter. And then, um, I did, I worked on a PhD at the university of Missouri for two years, didn't finish because I couldn't pick something that I wanted to focus on for a dissertation. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I I was in there and like all of my colleagues in the in the doctoral program all knew what they wanted to do. One guy was in what was exceptionally skilled at like quantitative uh, data collection and analysis. And one person was exceptionally skilled at, uh, they, they all had their, their focus, you know, and I was there lingering around. And my problem was that every time I would read something, I would say, that's the best thing I've ever read. I want to do my research on that. And then the next week, it would be a different topic entirely. And I realized that that really wasn't for me, but I loved the work. So like, I loved talking to people and I loved hearing people tell me what they were working on. It's just that I liked hearing about it and talking about it way more than doing my own research. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in a way you're researching the researchers. I feel like your podcast is your dissertation. Yeah, it kind of is. And like, you know, I wish I could get like a, an honorary master's degree or an honorary doctorate or something. Um, maybe someday who knows, but that's really, you're, you're kind of nailed it. Like I could have spent a lot of time working on a dissertation, um, and going the academic job market route, but I just never felt like I loved it. You know, I never loved it. I liked it. It was okay. And I learned so many amazing and incredible things, but I just never felt totally driven and totally comfortable in that realm, but I gained so many new skills that I feel like I can bring forth in the podcast that I learned in my graduate school programs. So that's kind of like where I am. And, but yeah, I like to think of it as like a public consumption, uh, gigantic literature review or research study or, you know, that's just kind of what it is to me. And it, it, it fulfills the same things in my life that doing academic work fulfilled for me. You Mm -hmm. know, it's the, it's the same, it's the same high, it's the same rush. It's the same kind of, uh, feeling of intellectual, uh, engagement and accomplishment and productivity that I feel like I can share with the world, you know? Yeah. And, and you're, academic life gave you a foundation to be able to talk with the kind of guests that you have on your show. So you're speaking the same language. For sure. Um, But the thing is, like, one of the things I really like about it is that I just talk to them, you know, however I would talk to anybody. And I, I respect massively my guests. I totally love what they do. And I love that they're willing to come on my show. Um, but one of the things I really like doing is telling somebody with a Pulitzer Prize or telling somebody with multiple New York Times bestselling books, 
hey, a lot of the people who listen to my show are teenagers or public school teachers or um, moms who are listening to me like out on their run or dads who are listening to me while they're on their mountain bike. And, you know, let's just have a really wonderful conversation so that people can learn something about things that they might not otherwise consider. Yeah. The Mary Magdalene episode was... Oh, man. Love that one. I was so disappointed when I got to my destination. I was... This is the great thing about podcasting. Like, if you live in a city like Los Angeles, like I do, you yeah. sit in a lot of traffic. So you need a really good podcast to keep you entertained. And I find if, if there's a great episode, I'll get to the destination and be like, but I'm not done yet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm so happy you listened to that one because that was such a rad conversation. And that book is so cool. And it's like Mary Magdalene and her effect on the Reformation. I mean, that yes. is just... That is just cool to me. Yes, yes. And I have Lutheran ancestors. So I was like, where did it all go wrong? How did we lose Mary? What happened? Oh, man, I love that you liked that episode. That makes me so happy. Yeah, I loved it. And I really, truly, when I saw that that you interviewed Alan Watts' daughters, I was like, oh, my goodness. That's, I know that's going to be good. And, and there's, How did, there's two. Like th- I know there are two and each one of them is an hour long. And my favorite thing about those is I read the book, uh, the collected letters of Alan Watts, which is like out in paperback and hardback from new world library now. And they, they edited it together and each sister, Joan and Anne, they wrote different essays in responses to dozens of different letters by Alan Watts. So as I was going through, I was writing questions for Joan on Joan's essays and writing questions for Anne on Anne's essays. And so the two conversations have virtually zero overlap between them. And it's about the exact same book. They're, they're not alike at all. Oh, wow. um, which was so unbelievably satisfying to me as, as the discussant, because I had, I think I talked to Joan on a Tuesday and Anne on a Wednesday. And both days I walked out of my office at the end of those, just like blown away that they were just, first of all, so incredibly cool to talk to the daughters of Alan Watts and B that they were completely different conversations. Yeah. You know, and I've actually I've actually kept in touch with them a little bit because um, a few months back I was up in Toronto at a bookstore and I was digging around and there was like a basement bookstore. So it's like one of those types of bookstores. It's awesome. And so I go down in there and I'm in the religion section and I'm digging through and I see this teeny tiny little book sticking out between the stacks and it's in like a plastic baggie and I pull it out and it's called Zen, a religion And the author is Ruth Fuller Sasaki. And anybody who knows anything about Rinzai Zen knows that Ruth Fuller Sasaki is the first Westerner ordained as a monk in a Rinzai, uh, a a priest in a Rinzai temple in Japan. And she also happens to be the mother-in-law of Alan Watts and the grandmother of Joan and Ann Watts. And so I bought the book. And I emailed Joan and I said, do you have this book in your family's collection? And I just, I sent it to her. Like, I was like, I have this. I found it in this bookstore in Canada and I sent it to her, but it was like printed in 1959. Oh my goodness. What a find. I mean, it was a little teeny tiny stapled together paper book. And because, you know, Joan and Ann and I had conversed for 
a couple hours, several months ago, we were able to have this moment of connection again. And that's the really cool thing that's happened is having these little ongoing connections with all these fantastic um, people that have been on the show. I mean, it's just so I'm so fortunate. Yeah. I, you know, what I was going to ask you, speaking of Alan Watts, do you do you we talked about your favorite author. Do you have a role model? Oh, my. In what way? Life. In life. Oh, my goodness. Oh. I feel like that's a really... I just saw that's a question you like to ask people, and I thought, I'm going to throw that back on him. And now in talking to you, I was like, and I bet he can't answer it because... <laughs> I, I can tell you some. I can tell... Okay. I, can, I, I can say some. Okay, let's um, do some. I am a big admirer of a man named Dr. Greg Graffin, who is the singer of Bad Religion. Um, I really like his music and I really like the ideas that he helped me as a young man, uh, ingesting punk rock for the first time, helped me to kind of see the world in new ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the dreamscapes by Haruki Murakami, the author. Um, I love, let's see, who else do I love? Oh my goodness. That's really, it, it's just so hard. I honestly love good teachers you know, I love people who go to work every day with the um, dedication to knowledge and, you know, illumination of knowledge. I just love that. So, like, I think about whenever you ask me who I look up to, I think about all the teachers that I've known. And I think about a lot of my friends. I think about my own teaching mentor. Um, my teaching mentor, his name is George Furzell. He's actually the first podcast interview I did. Um, for episode number two. So you can actually listen to me talk to one of my, um, one of the people I look up to the most, uh, as the first podcast episode. And you know, that's, that's just kind of where I am. Mm. Yeah. I I figured we'd get a varied answer with that question. Just from talking to you, I could just, I mean, you're into so many different things that I don't know. I thought it'd be fun. Maybe I could stump Greg. (laughs) It's it's so hard, you know, and I like people that, um, and you know, I also think about, um, you know, people that live, um, you know, challenging lives, people that live who, who face adversity and who, struggle in the world. And I think about so many of my former students that, um, you know, have much harder lives than I could ever live. And I think about, um, that kind of, that kind of stuff as well, human equality, human decency, dignity. And I think about all the people who don't have those types of things every day that, um, I have taken for granted over so much of my life, you know? Yeah. Yep. You have a lot of heart, sir. Thank you. It's, I mean, it's, I, I try. Um, I, I don't want to be, you know, I, I always, I always tell people that like, I want to be like 90 something on my deathbed, like learning new words in Japanese or something. Yeah. 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 Okay. So this was fabulous. I cannot wait to share it, but before I let you go, first, uh-huh. first we have, everybody has to know where to find you. So let's, let's yeah. do that first. Okay, you can find me on Twitter at classical underscore ideas. You can find me on Facebook by searching the Classical Ideas Podcast. I also have like an Instagram page where I post like travel photos. Um, I have a tendency to post travel photos of like parking garages and stuff like that. (laughs) 
so, so you can find me on Instagram if you search Classical Ideas Podcast, I think. Um, but yeah, like iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, uh, Google Play. Like the show is on all those places. And mm. last week I put up my 100th episode. I was stoked. And Congratulations. It's about the, thank you. It's about the Epistle of James. It was an awesome conversation. And uh, I've got a ton of episodes coming up that I'm like really, really pumped about. Mm. Well, I'm excited about the next one. That's for sure. Thank you. It's uh, it's there. There's cool. The next one is actually coming out tomorrow. It's about um, the Saint John. Oh, no, not oh, not Santa Morte. I'm doing the interview tomorrow on Santa Morte. Oh, but I see. It, it, the next episode is on the Saint John's Bible, which is the first handwritten illuminated Bible written since the invention of the printing press. Oh, I'll have to listen to that too. Yeah. <laughs> I think you've got me hooked. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I'm yeah. so, uh, like blushing. Yeah. We should also say for, for fans of podcasting, it's very important that you leave reviews for your favorite totally. podcasters. Cause that's how other people find the show. So if you, if you want to help your favorite podcasters break through the no, the noise, leave them a review. That's one of the best things you can do to support. Okay. Yeah. And- and oh. you drew me in with that Mitch Horowitz episode, so I'm going to go. I need to go in and do some reviewing of my own. So uh, thank you for the fa- thank you for the reminder for myself. Mitch is a fascinating. Have you had him on your show? No, I haven't, but I love him. He's awesome, isn't he? Yeah his 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 lectures are incredible. He, yeah, you know I, I'm always I'm always like banking ideas in the back of my head of who I want to talk to in the future, and he's definitely on there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so my final question is this, and it doesn't have to be the end-all, be-all, just the first thing that pops into mind. What is your one tip for creating the kick-ass life of your dreams? Um, Stumped. Just kidding. Okay. Um, (laughs) I think that going to new places and striking up conversations with new people and talking to people about their lives is one of the best things that anybody can do to build empathy and connection with human beings. And I think that anything that you can do to um, move your body, like if, whether it's go walk, you know, in your neighborhood for 20 or 30 minutes or, you know, get out and about, um, there's just something about being outside and in nature that is irreplaceable for me personally. And I think that, um, if everybody could make a point of reading at least a sentence before you go to bed at night, it will, you know, instill some kind of like childlike wonder in the world that we all gained whenever we were learning to read when we were kindergartners. And so I have a friend who, he said, I'm going to read at least one sentence every night before I go to bed. And even if I fall asleep after that one sentence, I will have considered that a successful day. And so every day I end my, um, my day with some reading and those are the, you know, and I also love cooking. I cook a lot too. And so those are a few of the things that I, you know, wake up and look forward to each and every day. So make friends, move your body in nature, Read and cook. We got four tips. 
And go places. Go places. Go places. Thank explore, you so much. Explore your, yeah, explore your state. I mean, get out and just see what's in your own backyard. People are always like, I want to go to Europe. Well, what's in your state? Go find what's in your state or your town. Go find it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. I had a blast. Yay. Much love, everybody. Peace. Yay. So that's that. Uh, I also always now am trying my best to post... A little bit of rock and roll at the end of these episodes. And because I have not gotten permission to post anybody else's song this week, I will post my own. (laughs) I don't know if I've played this for you guys before, but I've definitely laughed about it and talked about it. It's a song I wrote called Holy Roller. And it's one of my favorite songs. I can't believe my family still talks to me because I come from a family of what some might describe as holy rollers. My, my, my parents are missionaries, and this song, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of yelling. It's very loud. It's my band, my former band. Not, it wasn't my band. I would, let's say I was in the band. I don't, I don't want to be possessive of it because there were other fabulous people in the band, Obedient Waves. Our recordings aren't great. I don't think our recordings are great. We never had anything mastered, but this one I think is all right. I think it's okay. I think it's okay. I'm sorry y'all missed the live show because the live show was extremely fun. I don't know if we will ever have a reunion or anything like that, but that would be awesome. I would love it. I would love it. I feel like... I had really hit my stride maybe in the last year that we were performing where I felt like I just owned the stage and I was so into it and I loved performing and I felt very connected to the audience and it was this awesome outlet for this very devilish part of my personality (laughs) and then it all just came crashing down and it had to come to an end. So it's fun sometimes to get to play these songs for you. If you're sensitive flower, you will probably hate this, and I recommend shutting the podcast off now. For those of you who like a little bit of punk rock and, and, and yelling and heretical ideas, this is for you! Until we meet again, much love. Peace.
going to start. Oh, I do have another question. Do you prefer Greg or Gregory? Greg is good. Okay. I don't think anybody's called me Gregory in like 30 years anyway. Maybe your mama. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. It's been a long... (laughs) I was Gregory when I would get in trouble with my dad when I was a kid. (laughs) Yeah, you'd hear like the stomping upstairs and it'd be like, oh God. And that would be... That would be the, the sign mm. is the, the Gregory. Yes, I get so. the middle name going, Joanna Jean, what did I do? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I might yeah. have to save that for a funny at the end of this. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.